Janine. This is KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, and this is Get the Funk Out. Standing by to join me is Hollywood executive Samantha Hart, and she's bearing her soul in her new memoir, Blind Pony, as true a story as I can tell, out on Wild Bill Press. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Where are you connecting from? Are you in California? Yeah, I'm uh, in Los Angeles, out in Malibu Canyon. Beautiful area. Yeah, quiet. Quiet. Great place to quarantine. I was going to say, I'll be right over. (laughs) (laughs) So I want to back up before we dive into your book. Um, Give me a sense. I think you grew up in Pennsylvania. Yeah, that's right. I'm, uh, I'm from rural Pennsylvania, grew up in, on a farm. Um, it doesn't really exist anymore because it's all populated, but at the time it was very remote and country, rural, acres and acres as far as you could see, rolling hills. And I grew up on a horse farm. I had a pony and, and she was blind. So that was blind. Kind of became a metaphor. The, yeah, she was partially blind. She oh. had she was a show pony, and her her eye got kicked out, and so it became a metaphor uh, for some of the themes of my book. Amazing. And I ran I ran away from that farm when I was fourteen. Could you share a little detail about why you ran away? Uh, well, when I my family had sort of been in Arizona for a little while. And when my parents decided to divorce, um, my mother felt the best option for her, her and her five daughters was to return to her family farm. And my grandfather and grandmother lived there. And so she brought us back there and it was kind of like uh, bringing us back into a snake pit because my grandfather was not a nice person. Mm. And um, I think I was at an age where uh, I was very vulnerable. And so he, he began to abuse me within six months of my arrival on the farm and continued to abuse me until I ran away. And you told no one? Um, well, I didn't exactly tell anyone, although, uh, my mother knew, um, she actually you know, had witnessed him abusing me and Samantha. Yeah. And yeah, it it was a lot. Um, I think, I think it's, it's, it's shocking to say that, especially being a mother and I'm, you couldn't even fathom. No. Yeah. Especially. Yeah. Um, But I think that it was all sort of, I think it's important. I think that's why I wrote the book. I think it's important to tell these stories because you're giving voice to this story for no other reason than my own catharsis. Yes. My own sort of wanting to bring light into every little last dark cavern of my soul. Mm-hmm. You know, when you say burying your soul, that has a lot of meaning because right. it really takes a lot to be able to rip yourself apart and say, this is what's inside. And some of it, is really ugly. And when you hold on to that ugliness inside of you, it's like a cancer. It eats away at you. It does. And it's taken me all these many years to really be honest about it. 
And I didn't want to implicate any of my other siblings or anyone else into, this is my story. So regardless of whether it happened to them, it happened to somebody else or whatever, right. I don't want to project. Um, yeah, I went to therapy for years and it's assumed it happened to my mother. And so admitting mm -hmm. it would be admitting her own vulnerability and that's very complicated and I'm not passing judgment on anybody here except for him. <laughs> no, um, yeah. on anybody. I'm, I'm really just trying to say these things do happen. And when you hear these victim stories, um, a, a typical question will be, why did it take you so long to talk about it? Well, because it's very difficult to talk about. Very. Or you know, or like, why didn't you make him stop? Well, I was groomed from the time I was four and a half right. to, uh, you know, and then when I ran away, of course, I had no practical life skills. So I went sort of bumping along through life, just kind of blindly, like mm -hmm. the blind pony yeah. metaphor again, right? just trying to find my way and really, you know, really equating the only way I equated love was through some form of abuse. Mm -hmm. So whether it was, you know, starving on the street somewhere or, you know, shucking and jiving my way through this or that. And I had, yeah. I did my best. I, I had, I got a phony, phony ID. I was an underage barmaid for a while. I, mm. I learned how to play backgammon from a backgammon shark. And I, would go into a club and earn money, you know, gambling. And I was, you know, 16 years old. So mm -hmm. um, I, you know, managed to eke my way through high school. And, you know, I had a, 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 a job at places like JCPenney selling robes mm -hmm. that I was very proud of, for example, until, you know, I, well, that's a whole other story. I did, I did run away looking for my father. So I had a I goal had in that. mind. Yeah. I had a goal in mind. It was to hook up with him and he'd be my savior. He'd be mm -hmm. the one that would look after me. Yeah. But of course he didn't want anything to do with me except to maybe have a drink once in a while. Phew. And the first time I met him, I was so nervous and I was 14 and I was wearing these six inch wobbly platforms trying to look so grown up. Oh up to the bar and, and he's, the bartender said what would you like to drink and I said I'll have a coke and he, and my dad said make it a rum and coke and I had never tasted rum and did he you know, know you were 14 of course he knew I was 14 <laughs> did he forget I, I mean well he was my dad was a real character and I, yeah. I actually learned a lot from him and I can also see a lot of personality traits that I have the, I have the good things in my dad. I think That's I good. was lucky enough to inherit some of his, you know, a little bit of a tall tale or, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. and so I think that served me well as like learning to be a copywriter or like, for example, when I was selling shoot, you know, selling robes at JC Penney, I, I, I was able to somehow put myself in that person's slippers and tell them exactly what kind of lingerie they needed. And, Things like that. Good so salesperson. I, well, until my dad picked me up one day, surprised me to drive me home because I was hitchhiking everywhere because I couldn't get a license because I was underage at the time. And he stole two poinsettias from J.C. Penney on the way out of the store and I got <laughs> fired. So you got I mean, fired? 
I got fired. So, you know, it was, I loved this job selling robes. So, but I'm just saying, you know, I, when I realized he was not a role model, you know, I really just realized that I had to parent myself. I had to take care of myself. And so that's when I kind of got on a trajectory of, um, you know, kind of slowly finding my way to something that I could do to support myself um, and keep myself safe. Really, sure. Those were my two biggest concerns at 16. It so. sounded like you had this instinctual survival personality from a young age. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I I think I think you could call me a cockroach. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> okay. you know, I'm going to. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I got stepped on a lot, but I managed to get up and just keep going. I think um I think a lot of it was, you know, um instinctual is a good way of wording it. When you grow up on a farm, you see a lot of life and death. Yeah. And in animals. And I think it's just something that you instinctually learn. Like when my princess, my pony, the blind one, gave birth to her little filly, I helped, I helped her give birth. Oh. And it was one of the best memories of my childhood. And you just kind of, I, I was alone. I just instinctually knew she was going to give birth that night. I slept in her stall and I just knew what to do. Mm. So I think it's like, I think that these are things that, you know, I think you have to have self-preservation. Definitely. First and foremost, you have to want to survive. And I think that's a big message I wanted to convey in the book to people is, um, you know, if I could get through some of the hurdles I've been through, you can too. And so, you know, I feel like from writing the book and getting the feedback I've gotten, I feel like there are a lot of blind ponies out there. Definitely. And, you know, and so I think, like I said, it's a little embarrassing, honestly. Like I kept thinking to myself, why am I writing this book? I'm burying my soul. It's going to be, what are people going to think of me? You know, I'm not this persona that I've tried to put on for so long, you know, that I'm so smart and together and blah, blah, blah. But it was more important for me to be my authentic self, to finally really be able to be authentic and true to who I am than any kind of facade. Don't you feel like you can breathe a little better now? Like you don't have this weight holding you back or this yes. huge secret I do. life? I yeah. do. I Oh my goodness. You know, I didn't go to college and, you know, I got various jobs that you really couldn't get if you didn't go to college. And I never really lied. I mean, like the recruiter asked me, where'd you go to college? I said, well, I didn't go to college. And she said, well, you can't work at Universal Studio Pictures if you didn't go to college. And I said, well, I went to the Royal College of Art in London. And she said, well, that's fine. Why didn't you say that? And I said, okay. And I did go there as a nude model for the painting department. There you go. So, I mean, I wasn't gone there to visit. It wasn't really a lie. And I learned a lot about color theory. It's just that I did it. I learned it in a different way than most people. So you know, that's kind of hysterical. I, you do realize you. the funny in that, right? 
Well, I did go there. Well, <laughs> well, I did go there and I enjoyed it and I learned a lot and I met a lot of really creative artists and got involved in a, you know, in an interesting network of people, other artists. And um, so it, it's, but my, when I first started at Universal, there was one person who kept picking at me because really? something in her mind didn't add up. So you have your daughter vignette. So when did you have vignette? So how old is vignette? So when did you go to college? Wait, how hold on a minute. Gone to college? Did you ever think, I mean, now as an adult, you can think like, when did this become her business? Uh, of course I At thought time, that. It, yeah. yeah. Here, here's the funny thing. I would never ask a woman. Never. <laughs> I don't care if she looks 20, 40, right. 60 or 80. Right. How old are you? No. When did you go to college? You know, it's just, yeah. it just wouldn't come into my consciousness to do that. I'm in the moment with the person. Yes. They're all, I'm, I'm appreciating what they're offering right. to me in an exchange, a personal exchange. Yeah. Why the hell would I be bringing up? Because they were calculating. They were doing a lot of calculations to judge you and figure out. Yeah, and, because yeah. something didn't quite fit. Yeah. Sure. You know, and, and yes, I mean, I didn't want to be outed by, by anybody. And I think I'm sort of past that point in my life. Right. So it really wasn't, but that held me back. I'll be honest about something. I think that had I not been hiding so many secrets yeah. about myself, my true authentic, authentic self, I think I could have gone a lot further in my life, in my career. Cause it perhaps held you back confidently. Just, did it help hold you it back did. your confidence? It did. Yeah, it did. And even though people would probably tell you, you know, I'm, I've, I come, I've come off in the past pretty confident um, but they couldn't see the, the, the little girl inside of me that was so insecure. Right. And so just, you know, had such a feeling of worthlessness inside. And if they, you know, and, and I was hiding, that's what I was hiding. Mm -hmm. Samantha, so, I got to ask you as an aside, do you do a lot of public speaking to pe people who have suffered abuse or to teens to whomever, because well, if you don't, you should. Thank you. I, it's something I, I want to pursue. I, I think the first thing for me was writing the book. I do sure. have a lot of, I do have a lot of girls I mentor. Mm -hmm. Good. Um, so just, you know, off, you know, just um, kids I've met over the years, but, and also in business professionally, I feel that I've been given so many opportunities by so many wonderful mentors. It's definitely something that I'm co very conscious about wanting to give back to other young women, particularly. That's great. Um, but yeah, it's something I'd really like to get once the book's out. And once I'm sort of over this hump of feeling like this lump in my throat, every time I, another person reads it and I'm like, Oh, what are they going to say? You know, I mean, <laughs> I pretended I was British. You did? <laughs> yes. I mean, well, it wasn't again, you know, I was at this famous Playboy's mansion and he said, what part of England are you from? Just like that? And just like that. Okay. And I knew that I was trying to hide my Pittsburgh accent. I don't know if you know that accent, but it's, I it's very, you know, 
it's very colloquial. Okay. And so I was really trying to become more sophisticated and I was hiding it. And I think that some of the O's and the certain words, and I still have a bit of an affectation to my voice this, you know, I'm not, I'm not a Valley girl and I've lived here almost all my life, but there's something in there. People, sure. you're not really sure. But at the time he, he, I don't know how this, you know, this man is, wealthy you know a worldly man thought i was british i don't know how in the hell he thought that but he asked me so what part of england are you from and all of a sudden i was like you mean i could be from england you mean i don't have to be from this rural farm in pennsylvania where you know it was just the most wretched you know environment and i could be somebody else i could have a whole family back in England, just waiting to feed me figgy pudding when I come home at Christmas. (laughs) And all the cliches I knew about England just played out in my mind. And I was suddenly in like my own Charles Dickens play. You were suddenly doing improv at a party. Yeah. Like, yeah, totally. And I loved it. Well, you know, he sent me in a limo to go buy an outfit to wear that night to a party he was having it at his home. Okay. And in the, in the limo, I'll never forget it. It's in the book. I was riding in the limo and I was just having this fantasy of this life that I lived in England. And, and um, it, it was, it was just, you know, it just sort of welled up inside of me. And then he, he said, he, he well, you have to read the book. I don't want to get too in the, oh, weeds don't, don't give too much book, away, but well, it's not giving it away. It's just, I could keep talking. And then all of a sudden, you know, I could talk about this story so long because it's so important, but I'll skip forward. Okay. And I, you know, eventually met a British man who took me to England and, you know, lived in England. And so it was sort of like, it was in a way, it was kind of like manifesting something yes. Yeah. in a way. Right. And I kept saying, I would say to myself, when I met this British man, I was saying to myself, I've got to give up this British rod. You know, this is getting too crazy. I've got to think about just getting my life together. You know, I'm really young at the time, 16 years old, 17 years old. And then I meet him and then he, all of a sudden he's like, do you want to go to England? Of course I want to go to England, you know, (laughs) but like, like a knucklehead I go. So then skip forward again. And then uh, I get involved as a stylist, which is, you know, styling people because I grew up wearing Salvation Army clothes and I got very creative with them. It's great. Putting them on, pinning them on a certain way to look cool. Mm-hmm. And um, and so this this man said, OK, you've got the job as this staff stylist and or well, it was a permalance job. Mm-hmm. And he says, uh, for someone from Australia, you sure have the Parisian aesthetic. So just like that, I was now Australian. I was like, okay, I'm from Australia. You know, if he's not buying, I'm British. It's like he'll buy. And the next thing you know, I'm, you know, people are giving me koala bears. I mean, it's, it was just like a fantasy, you know, but you know how they say when you're young, life goes by so slowly. And then as we age, it just like, what, when did that happen? Right. When, you know, that happened last year, right? No, that was like four years ago. Um, Well, so much was compressed in this period of time of my life. It was like, it was like it went on for decades, but it really wasn't. It was a short, it was a short amount of time that all these things happened in quick succession. 
Um, so I wasn't Australian for that long. But you should have um, been a voiceover actress with all the accents. Well, I don't even know how good they are, you know, but so it's just, it's, it just, but you know, when this, I, I shouldn't really say it, but I felt for this Hilaria Baldwin story, mm-hmm. you know, where she was affecting her Span, Spanish accent. And I could psychologically kind of understand it, you know, even though, you know, there's no different stories right um but i mean i i think that sometimes you know there's i think that learning the greatest gift that you can give yourself the greatest thing that you can ever learn in life is to be your authentic self you bet and to know that that's enough yeah that you are enough Mm -hmm. that you are little this this little girl from pennsylvania had all the creativity inside of her all along, just like Dorothy had the shoes to get back home. Yes. She just had to realize I had, yeah, I had all this creativity inside. I didn't need to be any of these things to go on to, you know, work on Academy award-winning films or, you know, work on, you know, run a company with 40 people or whatever. I had that, those skills inside of me. Yeah. That's so, good advice for people that to really turn inward because you just might have the skill set and the knowledge you need already inside of you. Well, I used to have a mantra and I always say, I always preface this mantra with saying, I'm not sure that I'm, I'm not necessarily really putting this out there as a life tip okay. for everyone. But for me, it really worked. I used to just say, I have nothing to lose. And that simple phrase allowed me to go beyond my comfort zone. That's so great. If I wanted a job at a, a film company and I went in and the boss said, but you don't know what an you know, interneg or an interpositive is. I said, well, I can read books. Yeah. And he loved my confidence. Yes. And so, You're and right. I had an answer. Yeah. And, and, and also I didn't try to pretend that I didn't that know. Right. Which is good, which is really good. I was reading that you worked with Nirvana, Cher, Guns N' Roses. Tell me about that. Well, I was lucky enough to work uh, at Geffen Records in the heyday when it was still indie film. And I seem to be kind of an indie person because I've worked in indie film, indie records. But back to Geffen, um, I was hired there kind of... uh, to be the liaison between Warner Brothers and Geffen in the production arena, like to get our records on press. And and then I started the art department and I went on to um, run the graphic arts division. And we, um, I invented a package called the Smart Pack, which was an environmental thing to get away with the old, I don't know if you recall the old six by 12 long boxes. What is that, a long box? Well, CDs used to be shipped in a box. Oh, yes. Yeah. And they were they were like that because they fit into a rack that was a 12 by 12 for records. Okay. And so it was Jetson technology in a Flintstone package just to be because because the record stores didn't want to retrofit the bins. I see. But that costs the record label, you know, all that money in packaging costs the environment, all that waste. Sure. And also it's a lot more expensive to ship something this big than something this big. 
Yeah. So I created a package to do away with that. That's fantastic. I was given so many opportunities at Geffen to explore my creativity. And I really, you know, David Geffen was one of those mentors that really um, impacted me a lot. uh, That's amazing. He was very, um, he loved artists. He loved artistic people. I mean, uh, and so he, he never really, like anybody could come up with a good idea there. He sounds like he was open. Yes. I mean, you didn't, at Geffen, we didn't really have titles. That was a big thing for him. And it was good because you weren't bound to stay in your lane. So if you came up with some great big idea, you know, um, it was, it was encouraged. That's amazing. So So we have to wrap up, but where can people find out more about the book? uh, SamanthaHart.net is my website for the book. And um, it's available almost everywhere. And on March 19th, I'm going to be, I'm so excited. I'm going to be in conversation with Melissa Mertz, who wrote the book, All Right, All Right, All Right, The Oral uh, History of Richard Linklater's Dazed and Confused. And she had had interviewed me um, for the book uh, because I did the campaign for Dazed and Confused the marketing campaign. So she had interviewed me for the book. So when I am, you know, doing this, she offered to, I love it to, to, to do the interview. So I'm really excited about it. So that's, and book soup is uh, one quick note. Book soup is very special to me because the, the owner who since passed away, um, the founder, he had a very tiny little shop down the street from where the, the, big story is now on sunset Mm -hmm. and he used to I didn't have an ID so I couldn't get library books and I loved to read so he used to let me just sit there on the stoop all day reading books so So to to go full circle now from being that little street urchin reading books at book soup to having an author well having them host a you know book signing is really exciting I love it well congratulations thank you it's wonderful. And I really loved your, um, your book trailer. I put everything on my show blog, which is getthefunkoutshow.kuci.org. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank You're you so, so much.